0: Hi, I'm Dan Rambick, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Through Christmas, we're taking a short break from our Ecclesiastes series to start a new Advent mini-series called To Another Land. Join us as Bruce Bentley begins our series with a sermon titled, Fear Not! Well, up to this morning, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, this ancient book in the original testament with all this poetic literature and talking about meaningless stuff, whatever. And we're breaking from that and jumping into Luke chapter 2, which is the passage that you've already heard read this morning. Uh, So we're making a quick segue. And also, if you're visiting this morning, normally we have something we call City Kids for kids older than nursery age. We're not doing that so everybody can be a part of uh, Advent candle lighting or the choir or other things that we're doing for the next few weeks. So we're kind of all together here. So um, anyway, so we're taking a break from Ecclesiastes, but where we're at, in case you weren't here this past Sunday, we ended uh, chapter 10 with this thought of there is another place, a better land. And uh, the writer, who is also called the preacher, imagine that, he then leads us to this thought, this idea that uh, there is a better place with a better king, a better leader who is righteous, who's got his act together, who has some experience. He's not just a child in matters of politics or in leadership or whatever. In fact, he's going uh, going to take us to a place uh, of integrity. Of promise. In fact, it's a place that we were made for and even deep down we long for. Because if there's anything that ties us together, I believe it ties humanity together, whether, no matter what cultural, language, uh, uh, societal background you come from, we all kind of tend to agree on uh, maybe at least a handful of things. And here's one thing that we agree on. The way things are right now Aren't right. Can you agree with me on that one? Uh, We live in a very dysfunctional, broken world where terrible things happen. uh, And there's something in all of us that says, that's just not right. Maybe that's the way it is, but I don't have to like it. And I wish there was something better that we could all experience a place of peace. And harmony and goodwill and the stuff that we all sing about and talk about at Christmas time. If you've watched any of the Christmas movies, which 99% of them are sappy garbage, but if you watch some of them, you get that vibe, right? Uh, there's a reason why there are thousands of Hallmark movies at Christmas time. There's something in our hearts that says, yeah, I know that's sappy garbage, but I sure wish it were true. I wish there was a happy ending to the story, where we all get along, where relationships come together, where brokenness is rebuilt, where healing takes place. The things that we inward long for, yeah, I wish that could happen. So the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us this hint that it is gonna happen. That there is a king, a ruler, who is right and righteous in all that he does, and believe it or not it's going to happen it's going to take place and the exciting thing about Luke chapter 2 is the writer Luke tells us the beginning of what everybody has been longing for for centuries so as a way of introduction I've got to say this when it comes to listening and the Bible okay, Uh, some of us are good listeners while others aren't so good at listening. Okay, I'm not going to ask for hands or anything like that, but it's true. And I've discovered that my family members, it seems like anyway, that they are telling me more and more frequently that I'm a bad listener. And here's how it happens. Now, there's there's no grace, right, if you're in a family. There's no grace. There's no, there's no stopping and thinking, yeah, Dad, I know you're busy. And I know that there's six of us and the schedules change every week. In fact, every day, something is different. So I don't expect you to have everything memorized, Dad. I know that that's impossible. No! No, what happens is, were you listening? I told you yesterday, or five minutes ago, and uh, you were standing there. I know you were present, and you're now looking at me, Dad, like you don't have a clue, which is typical, right? Right? So, then the question, were you listening? Well, I heard, I heard your voice, but we all know that's not listening, right? It's one thing, my ears are working, and something vibrated, and the eardrum is there, and you know, there was, at least for a time, brain waves happening, but I don't remember, and even less, I didn't take it to heart. There's something that you said that I know is important to you, but it didn't sink into me to the point where I remember and I take it to heart because I know it's important to you, so therefore it's important to me. Listening is a struggle for all of us, regular, everyday, family, work, whatever. Even more so, it's a struggle as we open the Bible. And as we begin to read, Luke chapter 2, the passage you read, whether you've been involved in a church or not, almost everybody knows that passage, or at least parts of it. If you've watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, I know I'm dating myself, when did that first come out? Like early 60s? Yeah, it's really old. They still show it, don't they? Yeah. So you might, I mean, they read the whole, is it Linus that reads it? He reads the whole passage in that in that animation. Uh, parts of that passage you find, you know, all over the place, holiday stuff and commercials. Still, it's a very familiar passage that you heard being read up here, right? And you saw the words on the screen. But the question is, did you listen? Do, do any of us listen? It's so easy, especially with stuff that, familiar with, that we're familiar with from the Bible, to kind of hear it, but not, not take it to heart, not let it sink in. So here's here's where we stand when it comes to the Bible. We believe that as it speaks of itself, that the Bible is living and active, that even though it's done being written, it's still writing, that it has a message from God that is living and it will be active in our minds and in our hearts as we truly listen to it. So, it's not good enough, in a sense, to just kind of read words and say, well, you know, whatever, I've heard that story before. But have you really heard the story? Have you really listened to it? So, we want to listen deeply, not just with our ears, but with our hearts and our minds. So, it's too bad that so much of the Bible isn't explosive, right? That's we're—that's what we're used to in our culture right now, right? If it doesn't have pyrotechnics... If it doesn't have amazing 3D animations, whatever, then we're less likely to be caught up, or for our attention to be to be riveted on something. So in that sense, yeah, there's no fire shooting out of your Bible right now, but give it a break. There is something that's worth listening to. So this morning's, so what we're going to do is this. Uh, the next four weeks, we're going to listen to Luke 2. We're going to slow down. And, and see little hints of the reality that's beginning. That that land that the preacher in Ecclesiastes he talks about, that place where that king resides, and all of its beauty and its glory and its holiness and its righteousness and its wonder and all that stuff that we sing about every once in a while, it's true. It's real. And it's beginning to happen if we listen to it So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take time to actually do that. So, this morning, we're going to talk about fear. Another thing that kind of unites us as humanity because we all have things that we fear uh, and have fear about. So, Luke chapter 2, the beginning of the story, there is a census. We heard that read this morning. So in ancient times, the, Romans, the Roman officials, they want to know how much money they can make off the people. That makes sense, right? Same thing today, right? Uh, do we know how many people we have? If they pay their taxes, we should, revenue-wise, have X amount. So just imagine, it's bad enough today. Maybe it's worse today, I don't know. With computers and things going wrong, it's hard enough today to get a grasp on anything, especially census stuff. Imagine ancient times, where this word goes out, everybody has to stop what they're doing at a certain time of the year, go back to your original hometown where there's connections with family, and to register for a census. That's what Joseph and Mary are caught up in. And as we heard in the story, Jesus is born. And then the rest of the story happens. And we pick it up here in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, it's very interesting that in original language, it literally says mega fearing fear. Luke really wants to make a point here. He uses, he actually uses the word mega, and he uses the word fear twice. One as a verb, an action, and one as a thing, as a noun. Mega fearing, actively fearing fear. Mega. It's huge. It's blow your mind out of this world, quite literally, huge. That's what the fear level is with these guys out in the fields when suddenly an angel appears and the world is different. Now, to listen, to really grasp and and try to get into the story, we gotta, we gotta ask this question of ourselves. What is it that you fear? In the deep, dark, secret places of your heart, the place that you would really rather not anybody know, what is it that resides there that is true, deep, shake-your-knees kind of fear? The kind of thing that leaves you, I might die, or something of that level. Think about that for a second. I still remember, I use this story once in a while if you're new, so it's new to you, okay? So I'll just real brief. Seven years old, almost eight years old. My family in the car uh, in the middle of the cornfield, Iowa. We leave the home because there is an F5 tornado headed towards our farm and house. A half mile away, we see that tornado go through our farm and we see stuff blow up. And as we turn around this country road, that tornado, as it blows through our barn, it's as if it's cutting us off. It goes through the field. There's mud flying everywhere. And it cuts us off, and then it comes right at us. And my seven-year-old life right there, I still remember it like it was yesterday. You have those moments, right? Deep, bone-chilling fear. I saw it, and my seven-year-old mind says, I'm going to die. And everybody in this car, we're done. This, we're we're over. There is no way we are going to get out of that. It's bone-chilling fear. Uh, just this past summer, do you remember all the news just exploded over the uh, the soccer team uh, in Taiwan? Right, they're down in a cave. I don't know what they're doing down there. They thought they knew what they're doing. They didn't. They get caught in the cave. Remember the story? The water level rises, and then the the news coverage goes berserk. Uh, and then every once in a while, and the coverage over the of the following days, they would they would show family members like ah. What a miserable, fearful, awful place to be in, right? You want to save your child, but you can't. You have to rely completely on someone else and nature and water and whatever's going on and and, and the people that are going in there to train them how to uh, dive. They never, you know, some of these kids didn't know how to swim, for crying out loud. And they've got to dive underwater to try to find their way out of this cave. Unreal, right, how they rescued those kids. Now, maybe you haven't been through a tornado, and maybe you haven't tried to save anybody out of a cave, but there's two things about fear that I think unite all of us. Number one, it's facing the unknown. Okay, There is something about uh, the unknown that unnerves all of us, that's around the corner, and uh, that goes right along with that being completely out of control. Out of control. And when you think about it, That's not just those crazy, extreme situations that every once in a while we encounter. Tomorrow, we don't know what's happening tomorrow, right? We don't. We may think we do. We've got our calendar, and we're planning on school and work and whatever, but reality is we don't know it's unknown what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And then when you really think about it, even when things are going good, you have to admit you're out of control. That really the only thing we can control in life is our response to the uncontrollable. That's it. That's all we've got to grasp on. So even tomorrow, whether you expect a tornado or not in your life, you may get one, you may not, it may be a great day. Go shopping and buy stuff and whatever. But you're still not in control of it. It is unknown. That unites us, no matter where we live or what language you speak or what culture we're in, we don't know what's going to happen next. And for some people, that keeps them from ever leaving their house, right? That's an actual disorder. Uh, Some people cannot go out the door because of fear, and it shuts their lives down. And maybe you're not to that extreme, but every once in a while, yeah, when we stop and think about it, it's kind of scary, which is why we do stuff all the time, I think, so we don't have to think about realities that are outside of our control. If you have something now in mind that shakes you, that freezes your bones, that causes you to wonder if you're going to live or not, if there's something that grasps you, then compare it to these guys. They are out in the field, an angel appears, and what happens? They are in the presence of the glory of the Lord. That's what shakes them down to their knees. Angel appears. And there's something about this angel. Now, you know, we see movies, we, we talk about angels, you know, Touched by an Angel, whatever that series was back in the 80s. Angels are happy and cuddly and nice all the time or whatever. Uh, actually, the Bible says, the book of Hebrews says, sometimes we entertain angels and we don't even know it. Every once in a while I wonder, if somebody, when somebody visits and I, 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 I didn't meet them and nobody knew who they were, I wonder if they were an angel. I believe the Bible's true. It happens. So sometimes angels don't, like, explode in your face. But other times, many times in the Bible, something huge happens when an angel shows up. And what's so fearful or fear-filling about these angels is that they have around them, in them, coming out of them, the glory of the Lord. Not the glory of angels, you know, because they're so great by themselves, whatever. They're limited beings, they're created by God, but they've been in the presence of God. Not a whole lot of people can say that. Moses was in the presence of God, and the glory of God passed by Moses, the original testament tells us. And in fact, when, when Moses was anywhere near God, that when he would leave, they had to put a veil down over his face, because the glory of God went with him, and people couldn't bear to look at him. It's cool stuff when you think about it. These angels had something like that. The glory of a living God in all of his splendor, majesty, holiness. I I tend to think, we we, we read passages like this and think kind of one-dimensionally, I think there's more to the glory of God as it presents itself that's so incomprehensible to us which it's another one of those out-of-control things. I think, personally, when I look at what the Bible tells us in these examples, I think there's a substance. I think there's a weight to it. I don't think you just see glowing stuff or maybe hear the angels and their voices and their singing, although those things are massive. I think there is a substance, a weight to the glory of God. Because it is so great, That when you are in the presence of it, all of the senses react. And immediately, a fear like, I'm going to die, grips you. Because this, I am out of my league. This is nothing I've ever seen before or experienced before. I am next to something wholly other, and I could die. That's the fear that grips these guys. Are you with me? What is the response? What do the angels do? Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and the angel said to them, Fear not. This is so important to the rest of the chapter that we've got to stop on those two words this morning. Don't fear anymore. Now, as we've talked about, there's, there's different ideas within the context, different context of scripture, okay? Because sometimes fear is more about the holy reverence and awe and wonder of God. And we should approach him fearing out of reverence for him. You got me? But there's other times fear is more of what we understand fear to be. When you it's dread and I'm about to die kind of deep fear. Okay. So the, the two ideas are probably mingled together. But the angel certainly isn't telling him stop you know, with your reverence to God. he's not that the context would not allow that. The context here is stop thinking that you're about to die in the presence of God. Why is that so significant? Here it is. Because our relationship, humanity's relationship, since the Garden of Eden has been based in fear. What happened in uh, Genesis chapter 3 we have this or chapter 2 and 3 we have this beautiful picture of paradise uninterrupted fellowship conversing with God himself Adam and Eve took it for granted that they could walk around the garden and talk to God about whatever face to face can you imagine that what in the world do you talk about right so God the platypus not getting it. Don't understand. You know what would you talk about? Fruit trees, or why he created certain things—the the whale, or what about the dinosaurs? I, what do you? I don't know what you talk about. But they could do it. It was part of their relationship. Then the snake, the serpent, and the fruit. The woman Eve, and then she gave the fruit to her husband Adam. They ate their eyes were open there's so much going in that passage we don't have time for that this morning but we land on uh, Genesis 3 chapter chapter 3 verse 10 God enters the garden again as he always does and uh, this time it's different it's post sin rejection of God's plan in favor of their own you know approach to life and Adam says I hid myself I heard you coming and I hid myself because I was filled with fear. That was not there previous to the fruit. It was not it was unheard of. I don't even the word fear, okay, would have been incomprehensible. And ever since I heard you coming, I have fear before holy God. I can't be with you. I, if I am, I don't know what is going to happen. They had a perfect relationship before that. And it's done. Ever since that moment, that was a defining moment in, our, in humanity's relationship with God. I fear. I can't go near you. I don't know what's going to happen. That's what we've all had since the Garden. And at this moment, the angel, the messenger from God, is what he's saying is, that is about to change. Everything that you've understood about your relationship with God and each other is about to change when he says, fear not. It's the beginning of a return. So much, there's so many cool things going on that I want to try to unpack over the next three weeks. But he's saying it's a return to what used to be, what God's plan always was for all people. It's about to change and return. So what we see here is not just the shepherds in a field. Okay, I don't have to be afraid anymore. What we see here is the beginning of the end of fear. For everyone, for everything. Not just in, in, a, in, a, in a narrow thinking way between us and our relationship with God, but everything. The fear of relationship with each other, with each other, the problems that we have when communicating, the problems that we have with nature itself. All of that is going to begin to be undone so that Jesus and his rule can be established in us and moving out from us to everywhere and everything. So the Bible goes on to describe this new fearless relationship we have with God and with each other because of Jesus throughout the New Testament. And really, that's what from Matthew to the book of Revelation, that's what it's all about. That is what it is all about. This new relationship we can have with God that is no longer based in fear. I will give you a couple more verses here. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all things who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Okay, Just real brief, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he has the perspective of looking back at what Jesus has done, what he has established, the new relationship that we can have with God. He's kind of summarizing what's going on, at least the high points, the big points we need to remember. Since therefore, in view of all these other things he's saying, the children, the children of God, We, the children we share. We share the flesh and blood. What we celebrate at Advent is God becoming man. No less God. He is still God and he becomes flesh and blood. Emmanuel, God with us. The only way for God's plan for us to be fully realized had to be through Jesus who is all God and perfect in every way, and all man, so that he could become a sacrifice that takes away the sin that separates us from God, that causes all of that fear. That's exactly what he's talking about. So that through death, his death on the cross, he might destroy the one who has the power of death and deliver all those who through fear of death We're subject to lifelong slavery in the fear of death uh, before Christ or without Christ. We have no choice. He says we're slaves to fear. We're connected to it. We're chained to it no matter what we try to do to overcome it or make, or or not think about it or kind of gloss over the problems, pretend they're not there. If I just buy more stuff, then it kind of goes away. Or if I get a new relationship and I'm not thinking about other things or painful things or hard things, all the things that we try to do to get ourselves over fear, they end up creating more fear. He says we're slaves to fear. We cannot escape it except through what Jesus did. Now, one last thing to think about. Again, about listening listening to the Bible and hearing what's going on. No pyrotechnics, so sometimes it's hard. Or if you're familiar with a part of the Bible or verse, you don't really take it in or not. Some people, maybe a lot of people, when they when they read the Bible or they hear stories about God or they think about God, they immediately think, even what I said just now about this verse, maybe you're thinking, that God's angry all the time at me, and so, therefore, he needed Jesus so he wouldn't be angry with me, right? So Jesus, he will change God's opinion about me. I I find that to be a very frequently held belief or thought, and it, it creates more dividing walls between us and being able to understand God. Are you following me? God's angry at me all the time, so therefore, he sent Jesus, so he wouldn't be angry, and that's not right. That is a confusing uh, uh, distortion, at least, of what God of who God is and His plan for us, and really His heart for us. You ever heard John three sixteen before? Does it say God so tolerated the world? God so hated us, so He sent His Son. God couldn't put up with it. God so loved the world, if there's anything that is unifying throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, God loves you, and he loves me. He didn't need Jesus to make himself love us, okay? Are you following me so far? He looks at you and loves you. If anything, Scripture is a story of His love for us and all of the things that He does in the different ways and different authors and different books and different stories and different occasions, different experiences, everything that God does to try to clarify us to that point. He loves us. And the final exclamation point is Jesus. God loves you So much that he sent his son to die for you. Die for you. And in the end, all fear of punishment or retribution or vengeance of an angry God blotting you off the face of the earth, which is never God's intent in the first place, it should finally, finally be put to rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, there's no restrictions, no limitations, that whoever believes in him will not perish, have everlasting life that begins right now. Not sometime in the distant, whatever future. The life that we have in Christ begins the moment we decide to say, everything I've ever done to manage or to minimize my fear is a waste of time. I've tried medicating myself. I've tried ignoring issues. I've tried whatever. None of it worked. Jesus, I need you. That's where it begins. Everlasting life. The Bible is still speaking. It's still writing its news. It's gospel good news for anyone who's willing to listen. Take it to a heart, take it to heart, and then respond in it. So come to Jesus, not trembling out of fear of banishment or destruction. Come to Jesus with reverent adoration. We celebrate and we worship at Advent for Jesus coming because it reminds us the Father loves us and wants a relationship with us restored again. Sweet rejoicing, that's what this centuries-old hymn says. I'm just going to give you one, one verse. I love it. We don't have time for the whole one, the whole for the whole song. Just that last verse. Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. Let's pray. Lord, the beginning of the end began when you came giving us new life and new hope and new love. Lord Jesus, we give thanks this morning as we think of you and worship you in all that you are because we can come before you right now without fear. There's no more fear of judgment or condemnation in the relationship that we have in you and the new creation that you make us to be. We can come before your throne, not of judgment, but of grace. Rich, undeserved love and merit we receive freely just because you chose to love us. I don't get it. If I were you, Lord, I wouldn't choose me. I'm so glad that you you chose me each one who will call upon your name to be saved. We're grateful, Lord, for this time, this time that will end here in worship, thinking of you and how mighty and wonderful you are. Stir within our hearts, Lord, voices and sounds of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for more of our sermon audio, search for our previous podcast, Tomb Runners, from wherever you listen to podcasts. For upcoming events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org. Bruce Bentley will be back next week to continue the Advent mini series, To Another Land.